0: Please take a Bible and open it with me to Colossians chapter 1. If you're grabbing one of the Bibles that's right there in front of you, you can find this passage on page 1165. Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to believers, Colossians, people living in the city of Colossae. In this opening chapter that we're looking at here in these weeks leading up to Christmas, we have seen the supremacy of Christ— Last week, as we looked at verses 15 to 18 of Colossians chapter 1, Mike showed us what the the greatness of Christ, the image of the invisible God, the the firstborn from among the dead, that Christ in everything has supremacy. So this morning, as we look at verses 19 and 20 of Colossians 1, we're really finding out what the supremacy of Christ accomplishes. What has Christ come to do. Here we see the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. And so we borrow the phrase from that carol. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Do you hear the good news? God reconciles sinners. Listen as I read, I'm going to read verses 19 and 20 of Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Please bow your heads as I pray. Father, we thank you for this good news, this reconciling work of Jesus, our Savior. Lord, I pray that this morning we would see his greatness, his grandeur, his majesty, his power. But, Father, that we would see it personally in his love and compassion shown to us. Lord, we pray for our children as they gather in junior church and later in Sunday school, that as they hear this good news of Jesus... They, at tender young ages, would acknowledge Jesus to be their Savior. Lord, do that work in us even now. Make us those who are willing to submit ourselves to the greatness, the supremacy, the rule of Jesus, our Savior, so we come praying in his name. Amen. Jose Sokoloff, an advertising executive was handed his most challenging assignment. Normally, his firm creates ads for antibacterial soap, for dog foods, for bug repellent. But his new client is the government of Colombia. And his advertising assignment? Convince as many of the FARC guerrillas working against the government to demobilize. Convince an insurgent army to lay down their arms using advertising. Now, the guerrilla warriors are a heavily armed fighting force with thousands of soldiers. They're what you and I would picture when we think of guerrilla warriors. Men and women in army fatigues in jungle encampments. As an advertising agency, Jose and his team begin to do some research. They interview former guerrillas, those who have walked away from the fighting, those who have Survived. And they begin to look at the data available to them through these interviews. And they discovered that there's one time of the year when, more than any other season of the year, when the guerrilla warriors will walk away from the fighting. Gorillas want to be home for Christmas. So they decide to do something completely unexpected. They don't simply broadcast propaganda radio into the jungles. They've been doing that for years without success. He decides, they, he, 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 the, the advertising agency says, says, we want to capture their attention in a totally different way. So they decide to put up Christmas lights in the jungle, All right? They, they create gigantic Christmas trees at nine strategic locations. They cover 75-foot-tall trees in Christmas lights. They, they call this Operation Christmas. Now, if it sounds like the kind of thing that would be in a Peanuts movie special, I mean, it, it, this isn't Linus and Lucy going out into the, into the jungle and putting up lights. These are armed soldiers of the Colombian army coming in black hop helicopters and putting up Christmas lights in the middle of the jungle. Now, the trees are meant to capture the attention of the gorillas, make them think, what in the world is happening here? They're walking past these well-lit areas now, afraid of being shot, afraid that somebody is here, somebody is drawing us to this place, but it, but it begins to make them think about what they're missing. There are no Christmas parties in the jungle. No celebrations, no friends back home. And they can't quite figure out what's going on. But they begin to long for home. Now this effort, this Operation Christmas effort, results in 5% of the gorillas walking away that Christmas. Hundreds of them decide to lay down their arms and say, I need to go home. Now, some of them didn't even see the trees. They've only heard the stories passed through the ranks. But it's the reminder that that maybe peace is possible. That Christmas brings peace. But you and I know a few trees, even well-lit, enormous trees in the jungle. You and I know that's not enough. We really need something bigger, bigger than Operation Christmas. Because the peace you and I long for, the peace we're desperate for, is the peace that's shown to us in Colossians chapter 1. Not a temporary ceasefire, not a setting aside of war in one small part of the world, but a reconciliation of all things, things in heaven and on earth, through Jesus. Now, the passage here, it's easy to see how it's connected to what came before. We saw last week in verses 15 through 18 the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And now here in verses 19, we, we ask that question, what does his supremacy offer? What does the greatness, the power, the grandeur of Jesus offer to us? And so we, just, we see it in verses 19 and 20 that the fullness of God dwells in Christ, so that Christ, in verse 20, can reconcile us to God. Or maybe it's it's easy enough to see in, in this way. Verse 19, the incarnation, the arrival of Christ at Christmas, leads us, in verse 20, to the atonement, to the cross. Christmas takes us to the cross. Because that's what Paul says in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. What kind of fullness? The fullness of the God who created the universe. Jesus is the one, verse 15, we saw last week. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the representation of God. All things, verse 16, were created by Jesus. Everything, whether it's visible or or invisible, all power and authority, it's under him. It was created by him and for him. He's the creator, the sustainer. All of the attributes and activities of God are displayed in Jesus Christ, the king of the universe, the one who made heaven and earth is born an infant child, the fullness of God dwelling in him. But this little child barely fills a manger. God himself fills the entire Universe, but that's what Paul is saying. The fullness of God is right here in Jesus Christ. Now, if you, if you came to visit me right now, you'd find a dumpster in my driveway because the, we're doing some work to, to renovate at the house. There was a leak in the bathroom, and so, so there's a dumpster for, for the damaged parts to, to be thrown into the dumpster. But on the side of the dumpster is a Bible verse. Now, you put a dumpster with a Bible verse in a pastor's driveway, and I have to look it up, right? jeremiah 23 verse 24 i think to myself why no jeremiah 23 there's something about bad shepherds and i only remember that because jeremiah 23 and psalm 23 and they're both about shepherds and and so somewhere in some exam i had to take somewhere along the line i made that connection but i'm thinking what does that have to do with so i had to look it up because if you put a dumpster with a biblical illusion in my driveway i'm going to need to know what are we talking about so when when i when i turned to jeremiah 23 24 this is this is what i read can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So you get the, the pun. You may fill this dumpster all the way to its brim, but the Lord fills heaven and earth. I and mean, it's a pretty bold claim for a dumpster company to make. That the Lord himself fills heaven and And earth. But Paul is telling us when Jesus arrives, the tiny helpless child, it is the declaration that the fullness of God, the God who fills heaven and earth, the God whose greatness and expanse cannot be contained, is right here in our midst. Jesus, the Savior, has come. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus Christ. And, it, and it's important for us to notice here because you might, you might walk in and think, like, this, all this talk about Jesus, you know, it's great at Christmas. I love the carols. You know, I, I love wandering into church at this time of year. There's, 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 something, there's something nostalgic, something hopeful. And yet you think, but deep down it really seems like kind of a nonsense fairy tale. God was born as a baby? Like, it, it doesn't all seem to work. And, and, and don't we know, as, as modern people, how how this story was kind of added to in years and centuries to come. That's what we might think. We might think that this, this claim that Jesus is the Son of God was something that was added, even maybe three or four hundred years after the time of Jesus. That Jesus was just an ordinary guy, but then later on the church thought, you know what, this would be a much stronger message if we made him God. And yet notice— Notice here how, how this passage, which is likely a hymn or a creed, a statement of faith that the church made, that, that here we have the divinity of Christ thrown in our face again and again. Jesus is the image of God in our midst. He is the one who created all things. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. And, and so this is either a hymn that the church was already singing or it's one that Paul wrote and sent it to the Colossian church. But right at the core, what I want you to see is right at the core of the Christian faith is the claim that Jesus, the child born at Christmas, is the Son of God, God in our midst, God in the flesh, the fullness of God dwells right here. So we have to throw aside that kind of historical nonsense that says this is something that was added much later. No, this is the cent, cent, at the center of the message of Christianity, that Jesus is God himself, the fullness of God dwelling in Christ. But even that language of dwelling, that language picks up on, on Old Testament themes. Themes from before the time of Christ when God dwelled with his people. In, first in the tabernacle. The, the temporary temple, the big tent that they took around as a, as a place of worship. And then later, God would dwell with them in the, the temple itself. It's the language that, that God speaks when, when he has rescued his people. In the book of Exodus, he's rescued them. And then he tells them, I will be with you. In Exodus 29, in verse 45, we read, God himself saying, Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt So that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. God is here with us in our midst. That's what that's what the language of dwelling, abiding, being with us means. It's the language then that the New Testament picks up, not only here in Colossians, but think of the way that that John announces to us his gospel. The good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ that Jesus, the word of God, has come. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, a familiar verse, the word. Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus has made his dwelling among us. That's the kind of language that we're being given here, that the fullness of God dwells in Christ who is here in our life. And so we see in this passage the incarnation, the arrival of Jesus, Jesus becoming a man. And the incarnation in verse 19 prepares us for the atonement in verse 20. Because Jesus is here with the fullness of God dwelling in him to do what? Look at verse 20. To reconcile to God all things. Jesus has come to reconcile to God everything, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Do, do, you, see, do you see the way that the, the, these verses, that the, they're, they're all-encompassing, that all of the fullness of God dwells in Christ, in verse 19. And now all of the, all of the universe, everything that there is is being reconciled to God, through Jesus Christ, to be reconciled, to be restored into relationship, for things to be brought back into harmony, for peace, to be here. God is reconciling us to Himself. So verses 15 and 18 showed us the supremacy of Christ, then verses 19 and 20 show us the sufficiency of Christ. He is sufficient to save. Everything he is and does is enough to rescue us. And notice that the the rescue that comes here, the, the reconciliation that comes, it comes from God. It is done by God. You and I are merely recipients of God's reconciling work. So do you see how verses 19 and 20 are really a summary of the Christmas story? The fullness of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ at Christmas. And why did Jesus Christ come? To reconcile us to himself. To reconcile us to God. But maybe, maybe we're too quick to summarize the story. Maybe it's it's too quick for us to say, I got it. I remember the story of Christmas you told us last year. And actually, you reminded us last week and the week before that. I've got it. God comes. He saves. And we kind of move on. Because look with me here at the assumption that Paul makes between verses 19 and 20. he assumes something has gone radically wrong. I mean, look at how verses 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 are all positive. If we recognize that Jesus is the image of God, if we recognize his power in creation, if we recognize that he is the one who holds all things together, if we understood that he is the head of the church, if we saw the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, if we saw the fullness of God in Jesus Christ, then why would we need reconciliation? Shouldn't everything be good, given verses 15 through 19? The king of the universe is showing his unlimited power, his love, his mercy, to us. See, the assumption that Paul makes, and he's explicit elsewhere, even in this letter to the Colossians, but the assumption that Paul makes between verses 19 and 20 is, oh no, something has gone horribly wrong. The Savior who made the world in goodness, the one who is in his perfect love sustained us finds a world broken by sin. Broken by your sin and mine. See, when we get to the, the language of reconciliation, you and I should say, what has gone wrong? Who messed this up? Who broke what, it, what, what God, what Jesus had made? Because you and I, we, we instinctively know we need reconciliation. We, we know that the world isn't the way it should be. We see the brokenness around us. Even in the beauty of Christmas, we feel the longing for what once was. We feel the brokenness of relationships, loved ones who are gone. And, and we think this can't be what's, what's here. This can't be all that was meant to be. But what went wrong? We rebelled against God. We sinned against God. We destroyed our relationship with God. But then we've, we've tried to fix it. I mean, there are, there are lots of ways we can go about dealing with, with the brokenness we see around us. Perhaps, perhaps for you today, your, your way of, of dealing with the brokenness is to, is to set aside all that we've read, to set aside all these claims of Christmas and just say, it can't be true. And that sounds like nonsense. And so maybe your way of dealing with the brokenness is to reject God altogether. There's no need for reconciliation because there is no God, you think. This is just the way things are. This is the best we could hope for. But you know what? We've, we could make it better I mean, maybe your hope is in technology that we'll be able to make the world better tomorrow than it is today. Maybe your hope is in education that if we can, if we can change the broken systems the way that people think that, it is, that it's wrong, we, can make, we could fix the world. Maybe it's science that, that, that some sort of breakthrough will show us, show us an advance that we can make. Maybe it's politics. If we can just get people to act and do the right things, then we can, we can fix it. But maybe today you don't see a need for reconciliation because you don't think there is a God to be reconciled to. Or maybe your attempts at reconciliation are are much more pious. Maybe you have acknowledged that there is a God. And you've said, I've got to do everything I can to fix what I broke, to get myself back in the right relationship with God. Maybe your motivation even for for being here is is to, to say... What could I do to make things right? Maybe, just maybe I can I can turn the page on my life story. Maybe I can 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 fix what has gone wrong. And I think there in the brokenness you feel your instinct to, to seek after God is right. But to expect to do it yourself is is flawed. Or maybe maybe your way of dealing with the need for reconciliation is to, is to sort of redefine the whole situation. Maybe it's to minimize the brokenness. To sort of say, I I think I think aren't we all aren't we all basically good? Like isn't there enough goodness in me, in you and all of us that we can we can sort of band together. I mean maybe it's sort of some combination of of what we've been talking about this this hope for progress, this this hope in a, in our our own morality that we could we could make things right or or maybe even more dangerously you've walked in here today assuming you're already all right with god. I don't need to be reconciled. And I'm a pretty good person after all. Earlier this month Laura and I watched the the documentary of Mr. Rogers, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a compelling story, even if you never watched the show, although if you've been around any time in the last 50 years, you probably have caught an episode, or a bunch of episodes. And the reason that, that this retrospective came out this year is that, that it was 50 years ago, this year, that, that Mr. Rogers first went on public television with his, with his show. Now, Fred Rogers was a gentle, caring, a generous man. He dedicated his life to making children feel valued, cared for, encouraged. And his brand of television, even in its day 50 years ago, was a stark contrast to to other children's programming, and and now even more so, feels like something out of of a different, not just a different time, but a different universe. And he sometimes took us there to his land of of make-believe. But the most powerful the most powerful scene for me in this documentary was an interview with his widow, Joanne, or I guess we just call her Mrs. Rogers. She is speaking about his deathbed question. Mr. Rogers on his deathbed asks his wife, "Am I a sheep?" Now, she gives us the explanation. Mr. Rogers was, was, a, was a minister. He was a minister in the city of Pittsburgh. And, and in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples that at the day of judgment, that, that everyone will be separated. The sheep from the goats. The sheep go to heaven. The goats go to hell. And so here he is on his deathbed asking his wife, am I a sheep? He's asking that question, Am I good enough? And his wife looks at him and answers, If anyone is a sheep, then you are. Now it's possible the conversation was much longer. It's possible she even said much more and the the filmmakers just edited it out. But the message in the documentary, at least is one that maybe you walked in here assuming was true. Good people go to heaven. And if we're making a list of good people, wouldn't Mr. Rogers be on that list? See, good people, we assume, go to heaven, but bad people don't. That's our assumption. And so there's a a sadness in that question. Am I good enough? Because Mr. Rogers, who we universally acknowledge as a good man, some of us would say he was too good. It can't be real, right? Or his goodness, it was, it, it was, it was distorted. He, he gave children a, a wrong view of that. We, but we all agree he was a good man in that cultural sense. And so if Mr. Rogers is left asking that question at the end of his life, am I good enough? Then what about you and me? If we were to ask that question, am I good enough? And sadly, the answer that Paul gives us, the assumption, the theological declaration that is is there between verses 19 and 20, am I good enough? No, no one, no one is good enough. No one can stand before the God of the universe and say, look at what I have done. You can't point to your wall of Emmy Awards, the accolades and the the honorary degrees that you have achieved and say, look at what I have done. We need God to reconcile us to himself. We need God to intervene. But the good news is that is what this passage is telling us God has done. Look again at verse 19. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ and through Christ, verse 20, and through Christ to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you see what is being told to us? The, rec- the reconciliation you and I need is a reconciliation that, is, that comes from God. God reconciles to himself. God brings peace, not by flashing lights in the jungle, but by sending his son to give himself for us. God reconciles us through Christ. Reconciliation, then, is a a work that has already been accomplished. God reconciled us through the blood of Jesus shed on a cross. You see, Jesus has accomplished what you and I could not there's, there is no goodness left in us that would merit our own salvation. We are enemies of God, rebels against his love and command. We have taken the goodness of creation and, and used it for our own advantage. We have distorted his loving purposes in selfish ways by shaking our fists in his face and saying, I do not need you. And if left to reconcile ourselves, you and I would come up with foolish plans, with ways to make ourselves feel better. But in the end, we would be left with that lingering question, was it enough? Am I good enough? Have I gotten myself in? The cross answers that question. Am I good enough? No! Your sin sent Christ to the cross. Your sin needed the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. His blood poured out. You could not fix yourself. There is no scheme you could could come up with to, to move forward. The blood of Jesus Christ was necessary to purchase your salvation, to reconcile you To God, but God has done it. Jesus Christ brings peace through His blood, peace on earth through Christ. God has come to earth. There is peace here for us. Jesus has earned the victory. He answered the question Am I good enough? I am not, but is Christ good enough? Yes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from from all creation. He created all things for himself. He holds all things together. He is the head of the church. He is the firstborn from among the dead. He reigns as the king of heaven. Is he good enough? Church, is he good enough? Yes, Jesus Christ answers the question for us. And so confess your sins today. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop stop trying to, to manage and scheme your way into heaven. And find the door has been opened through Christ. His blood shed on the cross. This is the good news of Christmas. You have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. The fullness of God here in our midst. The God who who cannot be contained right here. The God who reconciles us to himself. There is nothing in this universe outside of the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that you have done that Jesus cannot overcome. His blood shed for you. Jesus Christ made peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let me pray for us this morning. Father in heaven, as we listen to your word, we see our sin, our foolishness exposed, our attempts to trust in our own goodness, to trust ourselves. And so, Lord, for those who feel, feel knocked down today, by the weight of their sin, who feel toppled over by the the convicting work of your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would would humble them, that they would turn to Jesus now as Savior. Lord, help us to confess our sins, to admit our failure, and to find in Jesus Christ our true and lasting hope. Lord, for those of us who feel the, the burdens, the sorrows, the sadness of life, Let us in this good news of the reconciling work of Christ be motivated, be energized to worship and adore him, to proclaim his love. Lord, make us a church that that not only at Christmas, but, but week after week, day after day, announces the salvation that is found in Jesus, our Savior. Lord, give us a boldness this week, even as we talk with loved ones as we address Christmas cards, as we greet coworkers, Lord, let us be those who are willing to, to share the reconciling work of Christ with those around us. Father, we come rejoicing in the name of Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, who has made peace through his blood. So we come praying in his name. Amen.